Jeremiah was born into a world of uh, confusion. He came along around uh, 630 B.C., uh, began prophesying about that period of time. Isaiah had been prophesying about 100 years earlier, prophesying the doom and destruction of the northern kingdom, their captivity, and pointing his finger to the south, to Judah, and saying, your time is coming too if you don't learn your lesson. A hundred years later, they had not learned their lesson. Jeremiah was born into a religious culture of Judea. Supposedly, the people of Jehovah, the people of God, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everybody was a liar. You couldn't turn on the news without hearing lies. You couldn't read the newspaper without hearing lies. All the commentators on the radio telling lies, obviously. No television and radio, but you understand. There, there, were, there was dishonesty, deceit, and corruption everywhere in that culture. And not only that, everything was driven by the almighty shekel. It was all about money, whatever you were talking about. If it was business, if it, if it had to do with politics, if it had to do with religion, it didn't matter. They were corrupted to the core by covetousness, by their love of money. But, but I want to tell you what is one of the most amazing things of all. One of the most amazing things of all is religion was prospering during this period of time. Religion had become a big business. People were religious. They were doing church, and they were doing it regularly, and treasuries were full, and the temple was busy, and everybody was conditioned to this new normal. This new normal of deceit, dishonesty, corruption. Everybody normalized that. And so to the people being born and to those being raised in such a culture, it did not seem such a strange thing to them. Not at all. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Solomon lamented long ago, <laughs> you think there is some new thing under the sun? There's not. There's not, he said. The, the reality is, life is pretty much the same. It just cycles over and over again. You say there's some new thing? No, he said, I'm telling you, it has been long ago. Don't ever say to yourself, well, the world has never been like this. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And worse. And sometimes better. But we just keep repeating the same mistakes. We keep reinventing the same problems. We keep on repackaging the same old sins. And life goes on. I, I want to speak this morning for just a few minutes about ancient realities in the modern world and modern religion. And just, just talk about three or four things that pertain to the religious and uh, social culture in which we live. And show that these things were true a long time ago. First of all, in the days of Jeremiah, according to Jeremiah chapter 6... In the days of Jeremiah, image was everything. Character was nothing. Image was everything. The, the emphasis was on form to, ne, to the neglect 
of substance. You, you think I'm kidding? If you, if you go back and look at Josiah's reforms, you remember Josiah becomes king at a very young age. Jeremiah is coming along about the time that Josiah's reforms are going on. And Josiah is attempting to, at least externally, he is cleaning up the situation. Tearing down the altars, tearing down the shrines, re removing the uh, profane idolatrous priests from, from the temple. He's doing a lot of the right things. Religion was prospering during the days of Josiah. It was becoming popular to be religious and to be part of this movement to clean everything up. The temple, the law, the sacrifices were being re-emphasized again. But I'll tell you what was not happening. Outwardly, everybody was doing church again. Inwardly, listen carefully. Inwardly, the hearts were not changing. They were all about, all about that glossy image and the 30-second soundbite. When you get past the glossy image and the 30-second soundbite, there was no substance behind that reform. Great form. No substance. Jeremiah chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn again your hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and testify that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord has become unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out among the children in the street and upon the assembly of young men together. Even the husband with his wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days. Their houses will be turned over to others along with their fields and their wives. I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. Far from the least of them, even unto the greatest one of them, Every one is given to covetousness. From the prophet to the priest, every one of them deals dishonestly. They have healed also the hurt of my people slightly. Saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, I tell you, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Wow. What a mess. What a mess. Here were a people who, in the wake of Josiah's reforms, they had every opportunity to turn their lives around and turn their hearts back to God. And for all of the religious posturing that was going on, and for all of the image that was being repainted and recreated, it was only image. There was no substance behind it. And now God is lamenting from the least to the greatest. The corruption, is, this nation, God said, is rotten, 
to the core. It is rotten to the core. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, Jesus warned about this business of perfunctory religion. Ladies and gentlemen, it is one of the greatest temptations of God's people in an ungodly culture. Perfunctory religion. It is this idea of going through the motions of, about busying oneself with religious activities, about, uh, about creating the image, about posing for the shot, about doing the 8 by 10 glossy, about the 30-second soundbite, but absolutely no substance behind it. And so in Matthew, the 15th chapter, when the disciples of Jesus are being criticized because they're not keeping some tradition that had been invented by men, men who thought that they knew better than God of how they could become holy and how they could please God, Jesus said, you are hypocrites. All of your religious activity notwithstanding, you are hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We are living in a culture today that is all about this fictitious, painted, glossy image, a culture absolutely dying for lack of character and substance. Such was the day of Jeremiah. It was a day when people were fond of God, <laughs> but they were greedy for money. It's not that they didn't have any it's not that they didn't have any feelings at all for God. They were fond of him. I mean, they didn't mind being with him for the most part. They didn't mind talking about him some, thinking about him, you know, in their discretionary time, but life was about mammon. It was all about mammon. And God said through Jeremiah, I'll tell you what's wrong with this people. I'll tell you what's happened to this culture. They are consumed with covetousness from the least of them even to the greatest of them. Covetousness, greed, from the prophet even unto the priest. Everybody, everybody Bottom line is the shekel. It's the dollar. It's how this is going to affect me financially. Jesus warned about that over and over in his teaching. Jesus warned about falling in love with the mammon of this world, the stuff of life, the golden dollar, the shekels of silver. Paul warned Timothy later, be careful, young man, in your preaching. Be careful about your attitude between the haves and the have-nots. Be careful about your attitude about the proper place of wealth and money. Be careful in your attitude about the mammon of life. It's there for a purpose. God gave it to you for a blessing. It is a great resource for the cause of the kingdom. We prayed this morning in our prayer together, acknowledging the urgency of the preaching of the gospel of Christ. The urgency of it. And God said, if you're not careful, you're going to throw a couple of pennies at the gospel. And you're going to live your life for yourself. 
Be careful, God said. I'll tell you what characterized the days of Jeremiah. One of the greatest problems he had to face in his culture. People had a fondness for God, but their passion was for the mammon of life. It's a dangerous thing. And it can steal our hearts even before we realize it. And we get reeled in just a little bit at a time. And before long, the mammon of this world is controlling our lives. So it was in the days of Jeremiah. The third thing that you see in this day that is very much part of the culture in which we live is that these people were impressive in their sophistication, but they were shameless in their sin. And, and I mean by that, impressive in their sophistication. The, these people had been successful in many ways. Their economy was flourishing. They were living in nice homes in Jerusalem, outside of the walled city. And in the hillside and in the countryside, there were those who were doing well. They were prospering. Life was good. They were educated people. There, there were good things that were happening. They knew about world politics and they understood how the political situation was playing out. They were street wise about making good business decisions and what might be a good political decision. They were impressive in so many ways. Impressive in so many ways in their sophistication. But they were shameless in their sin. I'll tell you what happened to these folks. Little by little, the exception, the, the exception of sin, of wickedness, of ungodliness, of corruption, of filth, of degradation. Little by little, what started off as being something that would have been shocking and appalling and alarming to a religious culture, little by little, they were conditioned to it. And by the days of Jeremiah, when he comes along, I'll tell you what was happening. What had once been the exception to the rule was now the norm. There was a new normal in Jerusalem. And it wasn't good. These folks in their prosperity and their good economic times, they had become self-indulgent in every way. Nothing was denied themselves as far as the comforts of life. They had practiced no self-control. They were obsessed with the sensual pleasures and comforts of life. They began to struggle as they indulged themselves, as they coddled themselves, as they babied themselves, as they gave in to their base appetites and desires. Their culture, their culture was plagued with retarded maturation. They got stuck somewhere in early adolescence. 
And suddenly everything was funny. Everything was a joke. Everything was casual. It was fine with them. The bathroom humor and the potty mouths and the sacrilegious activity that was going on among people as they took things that were supposed to be special and holy and they degraded them and debased them and made them as something as common. And what happened over a period of time as in this culture as these things became normalized by such immature behavior. They no longer even understood that they should be ashamed and blushing. They were desensitized to the point of total paralysis of conscience. They didn't feel anything as it pertains to shame and guilt. No shame, no embarrassment. No fear of the Lord. Morally and religiously speaking, they had arrived at such a point that they would, as it were, morally speaking, belch at the table and giggle at themselves. They had no shame. The Apostle Paul warned about the time that was coming. When men were going to be lovers of darkness rather than lovers of light. He warned about the time when men were going to find their pleasure and their entertainment in things that ought not even be spoken of among Christians, much less be regarded as entertainment. The Apostle Paul said one of the telltale signs of the demoralization and the degradation of the Gentile world is that there were those who were practicing things and there were others who, though they didn't practice the things, consented with those who did. And it was just no big deal. Anything goes in this world. Now, I'm saying to you, we're living in a world that has lost its sense of propriety. A world that no longer knows how to blush. A culture that has lost its sense of shame. And here was old Jeremiah coming along, the prophet of God in a world like this. And God said, I'll tell you, Jeremiah, what I want you to do. I want you to preach to these people. But I'm going to tell you right now, their hearts are hardened. They're not coming back. But I want you to preach to these people. I, I want you to tell them what is right. I want you to plead with them to do what is right. I want you to beg them to come back to what is right. But I'm telling you, for the most part, they're not coming back. But I want you to be the one who continues to speak my word. Wow. Jeremiah was the one who had to stand up and say, doom and destruction, repent. Judgment is coming. While the false prophets were standing up and saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. You want to know who was getting the press? You want to know where the crowds were gathering for Sunday preaching? You want to know who was popular? You want to know who were the preferred prophets 
of the day <laughs> wasn't Jeremiah. In chapter 5, in verse 30, a wonderful and horrible thing has come to pass in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. There's the tragedy. It's not just that there were false prophets. There have always been false prophets. It's not just that there were people who wanted to do wrong. There have always been people who wanted to do wrong. God said, here's the tragedy. I've had my prophet to stand up and speak truth. This, this culture is full of false, 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 false prophets who are speaking lies, and they are preferring the lies over the truth. They are cheering the false prophets, and they are stoning the man who bears the truth. What a, what, what a description in so many ways of the culture in which we live. What a description in so many ways of the religious culture of the day. Let me suggest to you four things that we need to learn from this as God's people. And we need to take courage this morning as we reflect on the death of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us as his people redeemed by his blood. Four things I want to suggest to you. Number one, we, we need to recommit that we are going to give God our hearts, not just our casual salute. The Jews in the days of Jeremiah were giving God a salute as they passed by the temple. Oh yeah, salute God. But their hearts were not turned toward Him. God wants our hearts. He wants us to sing this morning, but He wants us to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, perfunctory worship is not what God was looking for. He's looking for the worship that emanates from the heart that expresses the true soul and the character of man. Give God our hearts, not just our salute. Secondly, God wants us to prioritize Him and not mammon as the ultimate value. There are some things in life that are more important than the almighty shekel. God said you need to get your priorities in order. And the things of the kingdom, the things of, 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 of the Lord, the things that pertain to the mission, to the call, to the commission of taking the gospel to the world, there are things that matter more than others. Some things matter more. We need to be sure that our priorities are in order. Thirdly, as we deal with the realities of ancient problems, once again, in the religious culture of the world in which we live, we need to cultivate in our own hearts a sensitivity to sin that would cause our hearts to blush before God. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not just the world that has lost its ability to blush. Sometimes, among God's people, if we are not careful with ourselves we too will become desensitized to the filth and corruption about us and we will lose our own ability to blush before God. And finally, we need to be committed as the people of God to telling the truth, a willingness to discomfort the lost in their lostness, 
a willingness to boldly proclaim Jesus to a lost and dying world. It is not the cultural message. It is not the popular message. It is certainly not the easy message. It is God's message. God's message. And in Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. What a wonderful blessing to be here on the first day of the week, and to reflect on the love of God that has been expressed in Jesus Christ to us 2,000 years ago. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, we invite you to come to Jesus for salvation and deliverance from a culture that is bent on self-destruction. Come to Jesus who gave himself for us. If you've never made your confession of faith and put on the Lord in baptism, you can do that this morning. And if you're a child of God and you need to come back home to the Lord, our prayer for you is that this morning right now that your heart would be turned Toward him. While we stand and sing, we invite you to come.